0: Hello, and welcome to the Call Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do in your life.
1: I want to talk to you uh, about guilt today. How's that for a switch in in theme, huh? Yeah. You know, it's interesting to observe how our culture attempts to deal with guilt. Some years ago, pop psychologist Wayne Dyer um, authored a bestseller entitled Your Erroneous Zones, Your Erroneous Zones, and he claimed that feeling guilty about anything was a big waste of time. Um, Guilt only keeps you upset and psychologically immobile. Then another doctor, Tom Harris, wrote another bestseller some years ago entitled, I'm okay, you're okay. And he said that our parents programmed us to feel guilty. It's always mom and dad's fault. And uh, that we can get rid of guilt by being liberated from what he called the tyranny of the parental ego. A comedian by the name of Kathy Ladman expresses a view that's becoming more and more common. She said, all religions are the same. Religion is basically guilt with different holidays. Huh. Religion is guilt with different holidays. Well, whatever. Whatever. I think guilt is more like a nearly 40-year-old Doritos bag that washed ashore. Rick, where are you going with this? This was a Doritos bag that washed ashore in 2018. That's it right there. On the Outer Banks Beach in North Carolina. And the National Park Service said it believed the bag had been floating in the ocean for nearly 40 years years when it was found along with other storm debris that nobody recognized the bag design it looked odd uh, that then the o's who found it noticed that there was a date in the lower corner that said 1979 they found it in 2018 it washed ashore well it sure highlights how long plastics can (laughs) last in the environment doesn't it and this this debris of guilt is, is for me, it's like that, that really old Doritos bag because it can float around in your soul and in your life for a very long time. Guilt can do that. And although we may not feel like uh, we've done, whatever was done in the past is in the past, the debris of sin and of guilt Uh, leaves behind in your soul something that can still be very much present there. We can't just wish it away, will it away, want it away. Can you ever really resolve guilt without bringing God into the discussion? No. No. It does no good to proclaim happily, I'm okay, you're okay. Okay. When you know and you feel anything but okay. And the Bible is quite clear about this. You and I don't start out okay. Guilt is real because sin is real. But the Bible, the Bible never stops with that negative spiritual diagnosis, does it? In fact, the Bible's only purpose in pointing out the obvious, we aren't okay, is to show us how we can become okay in God's sight today and forever. God's okay is the only one that matters at the end of the day. His okay satisfies. His okay rips out guilt by its roots and all. His okay removes guilt forever. His okay replaces it with forgiveness and with joy. So today I'm, I'm beginning a new message series that I've entitled "Crosswords." Crosswords: Jesus's statements before he died. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John—the four Gospels—record seven statements by Jesus as he hung on the cross for some six hours, from the moment he was nailed to it right through the moment that he died. Now. Today is the first Sunday in the Christian season of Lent. It's a period of 40 days, not counting Sundays, that goes um, through the Saturday just before Easter Sunday. And the word Lent, by the way, is based on an old English word for spring. Feels like spring today, doesn't it? I had to take my jacket off. It was so warm. Yeah. Yeah. so I, I grew up in a Christian tradition that didn't recognize Lent. Uh, a lot of Baptist churches don't observe Lent either, but, but I have learned over the years to value observing the season of Lent in some way, shape, or form. Um, after all, the suffering, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, is, it's the foundation of our faith, folks. And each of the four gospel writers spent far more space telling us about the last week in Jesus' earthly life than any other time period in his life. And so it benefits all of us to think deeply about the significance of Jesus' death and his resurrection over, over a longer period of time. Well, well, why 40 days? We were actually talking about this a little bit in one of the Sunday school classes I attended today. 40 days is a biblical time frame that often points to preparation. Preparation. For example, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days prior to beginning his public ministry. So, rather than, you know, cramming all of our worship and reflection about what Jesus did for us into just one week, Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, observing these 40 days of Lent gives us the opportunity to think more deeply, to reflect more more meaningfully, and to appreciate more fully what Jesus actually accomplished at the cross, and through the empty tomb. So this morning, I I want us to reflect together on Jesus's first cross words as he hung on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And it gets to this whole issue of sin and guilt and God's forgiveness. So I want to encourage you to put your eyeballs on God's Word for yourself. So get your Bible out, get your phone if your Bible's there, wherever. And I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to read for us verses 32 through 38, and you follow along in your Bible. Luke chapter 23, I'm beginning to read at verse 32. Here's God's Word for us today. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. "'When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, "'along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. "'Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. "'And they divided up his clothes by casting lots.' The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. So Jesus' magnificent statement revealed God's love and forgiveness and that's that's right at the core of spiritual reality. And it also revealed the only real and lasting remedy for your guilt and my guilt. It provided the basis for the, the one and only spiritual okayness that is available to us. So let's talk about that. First of all, Jesus offers authentic forgiveness. Jesus offers authentic forgiveness. The Bible is a book that proclaims the reality of God's forgiveness. But forgiveness is only possible if sin is acknowledged. Now, now folks, there is such a thing as false guilt. Uh, Those are are bad feelings um, over something that isn't really a sin. Let me give you some examples. For example, a parent's unreasonable expectations can result in false guilt. You know, mom and dad wanted you to be a doctor. They wanted you to be a teacher. They wanted you to be a professional athlete, whatever. But your life went in a different direction, and um, people kind of feel bad about maybe letting mom and dad down. That's not guilt, okay? Uh, Some people can feel guilty about not being busy enough. Uh, but in most cases, you know, that's, that's false guilt too. Sometimes, sometimes Christians can feel guilt and remorse for doing stuff they've been taught is unbiblical. Uh, I, I, can, I can vividly recall as a young kid literally weeping with guilt and remorse for having committed the unpardonable sin of square dancing at school. Oh, yeah. I I was raised in a very conservative Christian environment. You know, any and all kinds of dancing were verboten. Okay? It's well-meaning. It was sincere. It was wonderful in many ways. But it had a knack for making up rules that have no biblical foundation whatsoever. Okay? Okay? And so I, I, I believe now that I was a victim of false guilt when it came to square dancing. Who knows? I may even take it up in retirement. I'm going to get Jim Herring over here, who's a big square dancer, and we're going to do-si-do together. Ready, Jim? We'll start. All right. How careful, folks, we need to be that we don't make up rules for things the Bible never addresses. We end up making following Jesus far more narrow and strict than than God ever intended it to be. Be careful with that. But careful, careful, careful. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Because guilt is true and real because sin is true and real. And the ability to discern true guilt from false guilt is important because it, it's, it's God's warning signal telling us that something is wrong spiritually. It needs attention. And the Bible teaches that you and I are creations of, of, of God, but we've been separated from him spiritually because of this thing called sin. And since you were made by God and for God, you, you can't ever live a truly joyful life disconnected from him. And yet sin, you see, it does just that, doesn't it? It disconnects us from God. And that's why God takes sin very seriously. It's what's wrong with the universe that he created to be perfect and to be good. And what is sin? Well, it's, it's just it's determined disobedience to God's will. It's, it's a deliberate slap in his face. It's, it's a rebellious attitude within each of us that seeks to live independently from God and what pleases him. And, and the more that we sin, the, the more we want to get away from God. And the inevitable consequence of our sin is that we lose fellowship with God. And so the relationship dwindles and it disappears, doesn't it? We're we're cut off from the very one who is the source of all life. And our lives then begin to fill up gradually, but inevitably with with all kinds of anxieties and fears and addictions and frustration that leads to despair. God created you for a life of peace and harmony with him. But you see, sin and guilt, that is never resolved is going to make frustration the dominant reality in your life and in my life. And folks, because our sin is real, our guilt before a holy, righteous God is real. The same God who loves you even more than He hates your sin. And God and God, and we have an adversarial relationship. Peter Miller was a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. And um, he lived in Pennsylvania, and one of his dearest friends was General George Washington. And in the town where Pastor Miller lived, there was a, a spiteful troublemaker by the name of Michael Whitman, who did everything to oppose and to humiliate uh, Peter Miller. And one day, this Michael Whitman was arrested for treason, and he was sentenced to death. And when he heard the news, Pastor Miller set out uh, to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this man, this enemy. He walked for 70 miles on foot. Um, And Miller petitioned his friend, George Washington, to spare Michael Whitman's life. And Washington said to him, he said, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. And Peter Miller said, My friend? He's not my friend. In fact, he is the bitterest enemy that I have. And according to the reports, George Washington was astounded. He said, What? You've walked 70 miles to save the life of your enemy? Well, that puts the matter in a very different light. I'll grant your pardon. And he did, and that day Peter Miller and Michael Whitman walked back home together. And when they arrived home, they were no longer enemies, they were friends. Folks, because of your sin and my sin, we became God's enemies, essentially. And the story of the cross and the empty empty tomb is God's effort, God's answer to make us his friends, to reconcile the relationship. Why was Jesus hanging on the cross in the Bible verses that we read today? Why? I mean, was it just some sort of tragic accident or mistake? Was it just some sort of injustice that, you know, could and should have been avoided? Was it because Jesus just didn't play his cards right? No. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that the cross was God's deliberate plan for dealing with real sin and real guilt. The cross was and is God's only way of offering real forgiveness. And he did this in and through a person. Jesus of Nazareth, God become flesh. And on the cross, Jesus took upon himself, your sin, my sin, your guilt, my guilt. He accepted the penalty that God had determined for anyone who sins, which is death. He paid the debt to God that we owed And God offers us now forgiveness through his son, Jesus, that is authentic forgiveness, real forgiveness, forgiveness that has substance to it and behind it. Well, secondly, Jesus also offers you and me personal forgiveness, personal. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Wasn't Jesus just talking to those Roman soldiers who actually crucified him? Wasn't he just talking to the Jewish leaders who had conspired against him? Well, he was talking to them, yes, but the significance and the impact of what Jesus said there extends outward to every human being who's ever lived and ever will live. And to grasp this statement of Jesus, its breadth, its height, its its depth, its width, we need to see ourselves at the foot of the cross needing Jesus' forgiveness every bit as much as those who actually spat in his face, drove spikes into his wrists and feet, sneered at his suffering. Because, folks, we're just as guilty. My sins and your sins... Put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't just the Romans or the Jews that crucified Jesus. Humanity, including you and me, nailed him to the cross. I understand that when Mel Gibson filmed the scene in his movie, The Passion of the Christ, where the spikes were driven into Jesus' wrists, that it was his own hands that held the spikes and the hammer. And it was Gibson's way of acknowledging that he too was personally responsible for the suffering of Jesus. You're responsible for it. I'm responsible for it. And humanity as a whole made the cross inevitable for Jesus. That hillside outside of Jerusalem on that day was, yes, it was the single most horrible scene in the history of the world. But in the midst of the worst degradation and humiliation, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Greek grammar experts, I'm not one, but they say, they tell us that Jesus could actually have made that statement over and over and over again as he hung on the cross. In other words, he could have said, Father, forgive them when they nailed his hands. Again, Father, forgive them when they hoisted him up and dropped the cross into its hole in the ground. Yet again, Father, forgive them as they jeered and sneered and scoffed at him. Folks, what, what does that scene tell you and me about God? What does that tell us about God? It tells us that God's ability to forgive you and me is beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our comprehension. It it, it also destroys the lie that God is some aloof, remote, supreme being who, who knows nothing about us and could care less about us. What a lie that is. It underlines the fact that God's forgiveness is free, but it's never cheap. After all, it required the death of Jesus, didn't it? And nothing was or could have been more precious, more costly to God the Father than the life of his Son. And truly, it's the only forgiveness that removes our guilt. The Bible says he, Jesus, is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And so you have a part in in making this forgiveness personal. Jesus wasn't, wasn't asking his father just to cancel the guilt of everybody in the world without some kind of response from us. Because, folks, there's all the difference in the world. Between forgiveness that's offered and forgiveness that's received. And the fact that that God's forgiveness is offered today and every day is an eternal fact, it's a perpetual fact. Uh, But to receive that forgiveness, to enter into it, to take it, we've got to repent. And what is repentance? Well, it's simply admitting that God is right about you and me. We're not okay. We, we really are sinners deserving of eternal hell and damnation. We have, by both action and attitude, defied God and rejected God and disobeyed God. And we need to feel the weight of that reality in our souls. But not that it's supposed to end there. No, no. We throw ourselves on God's mercy and his grace by accepting what God has done for us on the cross as the one and only remedy for that sin and for that guilt that we feel. And you know what the Bible calls that? Faith. That's faith. It's what happens when you first surrender to Jesus as your Savior and your your Lord. It's also what you do any and every time that you commit a sin. And you know that your repentance is real by your willingness to, to um, reorient your values and your attitudes and your behavior towards what you now know pleases God. And when both repentance and faith happen, God forgives. God forgives. He takes down every barrier and removes every obstacle to a relationship with him. Our sin is removed. It's forgotten. It's covered. We we get released from those chains of guilt. And we even receive an authentic sense of our being okay. And we are okay. In fact, it's the only okay that matters. It's the only okay that's real. It's the okay that comes from God through Jesus. There's a story about a young boy named Johnny who, um, while visiting his grandparents out in the country, was given the gift of a slingshot. And he practiced using the slingshot out in the woods, could not hit anything with it. Um, You know, every target he aimed at, he was was way off. But he was coming back into his grandparents' backyard, and he saw his grandma's pet duck. You know what's going to happen, don't you? Yeah. And on sheer impulse... He loaded that slingshot, took aim, and let it fly. And wouldn't you know that that stone hit that duck and killed it. Bang! Just like that. It was an accident, but that didn't help the duck. He didn't mean to do it, but it didn't help the duck. The duck was dead. And Johnny panicked. Desperately, he hid the the dead duck in the woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. <laughs> and Sally had seen it all, and she didn't say a word. Oh no. Well, uh, after lunch that day, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. And um, Sally said, Well, Grandma, Johnny told me that he really wanted to help you in the kitchen today. <laughs> Didn't you, Johnny? And then she whispered to her brother, remember the duck. (laughs) Well, later on, um, Johnny did the dishes. And later on, Grandma asked um, if the kids wanted to go fishing. Sure. So Grandma said, well, you know, I need Sally to help me make some supper before we go. And Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. And again, she whispered, "Remember the duck." And so Johnny helped make dinner that evening, and after several days of Johnny doing both his and Sally's chores, he could not stand it any longer. And he had confessed to Grandma that he had killed her duck. And she gave him a hug, and she said, "I know, Johnny, I know you did." I was standing at the window, and I saw the whole thing. And because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let Sally make a slave of you. What's the point? The point is this. Have you allowed guilt (laughs) to make a slave of you? Does something constantly whisper into your soul, remember the... And then you fill in the blank. God's forgiveness is out there just waiting for you to enter into it. God's forgiveness, it's it's authentic, it's it's personal, but you've got to receive it. You've got to take it. And that happens when you repent and you put your faith in who Jesus is and what he did for you for the first time or for the 1,000th time. That moves us to a third and a wonderful fact about his forgiveness. Jesus offers continual forgiveness. Continual forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Did you notice that Jesus' statement is actually a prayer? Prayer. And prayer was central to to Jesus' everyday life, in every circumstance of his life. And even as he faced death itself, Jesus prayed. And, And my goodness, that in and of itself is a challenge to you and to me. I mean, do we pray in every circumstance in our lives? Really? But there's a deeper significance to prayer here than just the mere fact that Jesus prayed at this most difficult moment in his life. What did he pray about? Who did he pray for? He's praying for you and for me. The simple fact is that Jesus was interceding on our behalf. No, that doesn't mean that, you know, he sort of had to twist God's arm or convince God um, to forgive us of our sins as if the Father was reluctant to do so. No, no. But it does mean that that we have an advocate in heaven continually representing us before a loving father. It underlines the fact that Jesus, in one sense, continually points to the wounds in his hands and his feet as reason enough to forgive every sin and remove any guilt as you confess your sins. Jesus' wounds remind the entire universe that your debt was paid in full and you bear the guilt of your sins no longer. Like the old hymn, and you know, we sang this this morning. My sins owe the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. What does God's word say? But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so there it is, the the promise of continual forgiveness as we continually confess. And, And this is God's promise that our guilt is continually removed because forgiveness is continually applied to our lives. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Folks, this was was ultimate intercession on our behalf and mine. But you know that that intercession on our behalf continues today? The Bible puts it this way. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And then this scripture, who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I mean, what a a great comfort that is. Right now, at, at this very moment, on March the 6th, Jesus is interceding and pleading and advocating for you and for me. And, and both his desire and his ability to forgive you is as strong and deep today as it was back then on the, de- the day that he literally hung on the cross. And my friend, no sin that you have committed or will commit can tongue-tie the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Nothing you have done or ever will do can tongue-tie Jesus. Are you a follower of Jesus today? I hope that you are. Yes, you may have grieved the Holy Spirit deeply through some sin that you've committed, but right now Jesus right right now Jesus is pleading your case, right now. And you might feel as barren and spiritually unfruitful as some old diseased apple tree. You may deserve to be cut down and cast aside, but if you confess your sin, you can be sure that God will forgive you and he will separate you from the guilt of your sin as far as the east is from the west. You're not a follower of Jesus today. You're not one today. Maybe you've been resisting and rejecting God's love for a long time. And if you feel that that strong inner tug of God's spirit in your heart today, it means that Jesus has not given up on you. He is at this very moment pleading for you before his father's throne. No one earns God's forgiveness. No one deserves his love. But it's being offered to you at this very moment. Do not turn away from it. Jesus offers you forgiveness, authentic forgiveness, personal forgiveness, continual forgiveness, and he alone can make you spiritually okay today and forever because his is the only okay that matters. An Anglican archbishop tells the story about another archbishop and um, this archbishop had three teenagers in his tur- church that um, came to him to confess their sins. That was part of their tradition. And um, they really did this as a practical joke. They weren't serious about it. So they met with the archbishop, these three characters, pranksters, and um, they confessed to this <laughs> ridiculous and terrible and long list of sins that they had not committed. And, um, you know, the archbishop kind of went along with this, and he watched as two of them, after they had confessed, he watched as two of them walked out laughing as they went. They just thought it was a big joke. The third teenager was still there, and... Um, you know, the archbishop listened to his confession as well. And then, instead of just telling him to go after he was done, he said to this young man, he said, uh, Okay, I've, I've heard your confession. But here's what I want you to know, to do so that we know that your repentance is real. I want you to go to the front of the church and find the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross And I want you to look at that picture, and I want you to say, as you're looking at that picture, you did all that for me, and I don't really care that much. And I want you to do that three times. So that that teenager walked up to to the front, found the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, and he said it the first time. He said, you, you did that for me and I don't really care that much. He said it a second time. You did that for me and I don't really care that much. But he didn't say it the third time because he dissolved into tears. And the archbishop that told that story said, I know for a fact that's true because I was that young man. There's something about the cross. And as we look at it and we take it in, it defies discussion and explanation of what all that it means and how it all works and so forth. We just know that something grasps us. And what we're being grasped by is the love of God. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus offers authentic forgiveness, personal forgiveness, and continual forgiveness. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity over these Sundays preceding Easter to think again and meditate again and reflect again on the meaning of the cross. And so much of that can be captured when we look at these statements that Jesus made as he hung there. And today, Lord, we've, today we've talked about forgiveness and we've thought about forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And Lord, we, it's hard for us to take it in. But we thank you. All we can do is just stand before you and thank you for that forgiveness. How authentic it is, how personal it is, how, how continual it is. We thank you. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to remember that in a way that we've done on many other occasions, and that's through the taking of communion. Participating in the Lord's Supper. Thank you for that additional opportunity to receive, to experience, to reflect on the magnitude of your forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that, so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.